Welcome to episode 70 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. And this week, it was announced that uh, China Mobile extended a pretty large tender uh, with respect to its 5G deployment, and both Ericsson and Nokia have missed out. You know, is this surprising? Likely not. You know, given the geo, you know, political uh, situation that's going on right now, um, this wasn't surprising. You actually had some information to share relative to uh, these operators with Dish in a moment. But what are your thoughts? Um, I think this was the one that um, uh, ZTE and Huawei won, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, it 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 totally looks like it's a geopolitical. Um, decision mm-hmm. um especially since china mobile is pretty heavily owned by the u.s government or by the chinese government uh was a little slip there um but yeah i don't know i feel like we're kind of getting to the point where um in many scenarios we aren't necessarily having the best vendors um win the deals because now politics are being involved in choosing 5G infrastructure vendors. Yeah, and you know, and this is something that Huawei has been pointing at for quite some time. Um, you know, they started, you know, many years ago, um, simply backward engineering, you know, you know, telecom equipment and, you know, flash forward, um, they hold a, you know, not that, you know, patent counting is any sort of indication of innovation, but they're certainly one of the most prolific patent filers, uh, even in Europe. And so, you know, their argument has been that, you know, and in, in sort of bifurcating this and making it political, that, um, you know, basically, you know, operators are losing out on, you know, kind of, you know, best of breed solutions and, you know, and that sort of thing. And, you know, obviously, you know, time will tell here, but, um, but certainly that, that's, that's the way, you know, things have, uh, have been heading for quite some time. So again, you know, no major surprises, but just wanted to get your input on that. But let's move to your first topic this week. And you want to talk about um, Movandi and uh, millimeter wave repeaters. Yeah. And, you know, you actually got a chance to uh, meet some of the Movandi people when we were at the Qualcomm Smart Cities event. Um, and uh, yeah, so they, they build these 5G repeaters um, specifically for millimeter wave. And um, they've actually been trying to prove out this technology uh, for quite some time. Um, so they've actually already done some of these trials before, um, and they're using their Beam XR technology um, for their indoor repeaters. Um, and, and this is kind of uh, an extension of that. So what they did is they were able to actually um, show that they were able to achieve 2.7 gigabits per second in a moving vehicle, um, which is already quite the achievement when you consider that millimeter wave does not do well um, when you're moving from cell to cell. Um, and they were able to do it going 27 miles an hour, um, which is a perfectly reasonable speed inside of a city. Um, I wouldn't consider that a highway speed, but I also wouldn't try to cover um, millimeter wave on the highway. So um, for a very dense city, this could actually work very well. Um, and they were able to do this over a three mile route along Danza Boulevard to Cupertino, um, which is a different 
trial than the one they did in San Jose. So they're, they're now trying and trialing this technology in different parts of the valley. Um, they are based out of Irvine, but they're doing a lot of their testing in Silicon Valley. Um, and they were able to do this over 24 different points of um, signal with handoffs occurring between them. Um, they said that they were able to also stream video live um, using this demo. And they were able to do it over multiple video streaming services, including Verizon's BlueJeans, um, Zoom, and WebEx. And that they were able to maintain um, speeds of uh, about 86 to 177 megabits without the repeaters. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, those speeds are very inconsistent. So increasing those speeds to, you know, one point, you know, 1.6 gigabits per second um, is much better. And um, they were saying that on the low end, the repeater was getting 300 megabits per second, um, which is really impressive. So mm -hmm. the, the, the real deal here is um, this is not only a technology that gets good speeds, but actually its primary purpose is to get good coverage and to do so in a way that um, allows for a video service not to drop off, um, which, you know, video is probably one of the most latency intensive uh, applications. So you'll, you'll be able to notice if there's any um, inconsistency with the signal. Um, so yeah, it's, it's gonna be very interesting to see um, how this gets deployed and they are a big partner with Verizon. So um, we could actually see Verizon deploying um, Movandi's technology in its, its 5G millimeter wave network to improve coverage um, relatively soon. Yeah, you know, I think about the applications for, you know, for transportation and logistics. And like you mentioned at that speed, those aren't highway speeds, but if you start thinking about, um, you know, trains, you know, um, you know, public buses, that sort of thing, um, the, the application could be quite, um, you know, quite compelling. So, um, and actually I wanna talk about millimeter wave in my second topic. I will apologize to our listeners and viewers. I'm in Key West, Florida. It just had, you know, a series of, I think, fighter jets <laughs> fly, over, uh, fly over my home here. So if you heard that on the audio, that's what's going on. But let's move to my second topic. And I want to talk about Ericsson. And they recently conducted a, uh, a proof of concept in Seattle um, with um, a company called Powerlight. And what Powerlight does is they use laser technology um, to uh, power things wirelessly. And so this proof of concept uh, powered actually a 5G millimeter wave base station in Seattle and did it quite successfully. You know, so, you know, the thought is, is this gimmick or is it a game changer? You know, and from my perspective, it's, it's one thing, you know, connecting base stations wirelessly. But if you think about millimeter wave, and we've talked about this before in prior podcasts, um, you do need densification um, given the propagation of that signal. And certainly, if you think about um, small, um, small cell devices, excuse me, um, wireless connectivity could be um, quite compelling because um, one of the challenges with small cells is just where do you put all those things? So what are your thoughts? Um, I haven't looked into PowerLight, um, but I know the, of multiple um, opportunities to deliver power using light 
or using other, you know, wireless transmissions. Mm -hmm. um, my biggest issue is just these usually are very wildly inefficient. Right. Um, so I think efficiency will need to improve before um, these are deployed. Um, but that said, you know, not having to run power or data to a small cell um, could one potentially make it smaller and yeah. two put allow you to put it in places you wouldn't have been able to put it before because right. you can't, you know, run cables to it. Like, you know, there are probably some light poles that you could probably install on um, that you wouldn't be able to install on previously because you can just retrofit them instead of having to drill through them and, and run power and data through them. So um, it could potentially lower the cost of deployment long-term, but I worry about the power efficiency because ultimately power is still one of the biggest costs long-term uh, of running a uh, 5G network and you know efficiency, power, you know how that goes. Yeah, yeah. So it is interesting, and it'll be uh, it'll be cool to see how this develops over time. But um, let's move to your second topic this week, and you want to talk about Dish, and they're they're being pretty aggressive and and making some statements relative to traditional uh, infrastructure. Yeah, so uh, they kind of took the wraps off of what they're doing. Um, their, um, you know, Dave Mayo basically is kind of in charge of helping roll out their network. I kind of told the story of, you know, how he got there and, you know, how they're, how they've gotten to this point. And he talked about how, you know, they have over a thousand people now working on this deployment and, um, that, you know, he had to help, um, blow up the entire process and, and say, you know, we can't have a centralized uh, rollout process. We have to, you know, have everything regionally operated um, and decentralized things. So um, he's taken a lot of his learnings from T-Mobile um, in in helping to roll out Dish. Um, but one of the interesting things is they are not using any Ericsson or Nokia equipment in their network. Um, they're building their own equipment in their own 5G warehouses and shipping them out to the towers where they need them. Um, and he went as far as to call Ericsson and Nokia the Scandinavian mafia, um, <laughs> which I don't think will necessarily win him any fans. And if he ever ends up meeting one of them, I don't think those discussions are going to go very well. Um, or so they'll have to I'm, get the checkbook out and, and write a bigger check, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, he did disclose um, that they are using um, Taiwan's microelectronics technology, Fujitsu, um, Mavenir, Altiostar, um, Amazon, uh, as well as Nexus One as uh, network infrastructure vendors across hardware, um, software, um, and cloud. So uh, we do have a pretty good idea of now who they're working with and what they're doing. And mm -hmm. obviously that they're doing this all over open RAN. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, I think we're still very early days for dish. Um, and I think they're actually going to be taking a long time to roll things out, but um, they're going to have to move as fast as possible if they want to hit their 2025 target date. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the, the whole, you know, mafia reference, you know, there's no, it's no secret that, you know, Nokia is very bullish of, of all of the, 
traditional infrastructure providers on on open ran and so you know they, he might have uh cut off you know his nose to, to spite it all but it'll be interesting to see how this rolls out i i agree with you they continue to sort of push things out i think initially they were talking about some sort of proof of concept around the ces time frame in january with um their deployment in las vegas but time will tell definitely so but let's move to my third and final topic this week and I want to talk about um, Google, and um, they announced that they plan to invest um, over a billion dollars uh, within the African continent over the next five years. And so the question is, you know, can this help bridge the continent's digital divide, and will 5G play a role? And certainly, as I read through the announcement, yeah, it's still very, you know, very um, high level right now. But you know, there were some references to specifically investment in an undersea cable, which, you know, obviously, you know, that's going to be, you know, critical, um, you know, from a, you know, you know, back channel connectivity perspective, but, you know, uh, you know, Africa is also, the, the continent of Africa is also a place where um, you still have, you know, two and 3G deployments, and just now some of the larger nations are, are coming into the LTE world, so, but you know, with what's going on with the disaggregation, you know, with with 5G and Open RAN and all of that, um, I'm wondering if Google can't help, you know, sort of maybe accelerate that deployment timeline. And maybe for some of these these African nations, um, if they're just getting LTE out the door, I mean, maybe that can help, you know, rapidly accelerate them into a 5G world. So, wondering what your your thoughts are on this. One. Um, honestly, I think knowing what I know about Africa, which is admittedly not enough, mm -hmm. um, a billion dollars is nothing. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I thought that Google was really serious about this, um, you know, I would have said 10 billion over the next five years or sure. 10 billion over the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, but a billion over five years, that's $200 million a continent with over a billion people. Um, and realistically, they're probably going to be focusing on countries like Nigeria, where there's a lot of population density and lots of people on the internet. Um, so I, I just think that, um, you know, Google has had, you know, technology efforts to potentially uh, improve connectivity in Africa, like, you know, Project Loon, which it did eventually blow up. Um, so it doesn't really to me feel like there's much going on. Um, you know, building undersea cables is great because um, you're gonna need to bring the bandwidth in for it to be um, a sustainable growth um, for, you know, connectivity. But I do think ultimately connectivity is the first and foremost problem that needs to be solved if you want to modernize Africa. Um, and the issue is, is that there's a lot of people who are not interested in having foreigners do these things. Sure. Um, so I think it would be more beneficial for um, Google to find partners in Africa to build things out together instead of trying to, um, you know, do maybe what Facebook did in India, where, right. you know, they, they basically just um, took over the market. And, you know, now Facebook is a very powerful entity. Um, but yeah, I just think that there needs to be more investment in Africa overall. And a billion dollars is kind of yeah. not much, especially for this, a company the size of Google. 
Yeah, I agree. And, um, and, and I agree with you as well. I mean, again, this announcement, it was just made, um, it'll probably be very organic in nature and grow over time. I agree with you. Um, Google partnering um, with, with, with other companies is the right, right way to go. I will mention that, you know, I, I'm knowledgeable of the fact that um, Huawei has, has invested, you know, in parts of Africa. Many people point to that as, you know, sort of, you know, you know, country building, you know, and, and that sort of thing. But they've historically, you know, Huawei's had a footprint there just because they've, you know, they've, they've you know, and, and in fact, in, in rural America as well, have offered, you know, um, infrastructure um, that's very, very aggressively priced, you know, you know, and speaking to some of, you know, their competitors like in Ericsson and, and Nokia, some of the pricing is just, you know, in the past was, was pretty wacky and, you know, not profitable. So, but um, I agree with you. It's, it's a good start, but more will have to be done to really bring the African continent, you know, into, you know, kind of modern, you know, connectivity. So, but let's move to your third and final topic this week. And you want to talk about the 3.45 gigahertz auctions that are kicking off. Yeah. So this is a, uh, yet another mid-band auction. Um, so it's extremely valuable. Um, currently, uh, we're in the first round of the auction. Um, they basically do a new round almost every day, and there's many, many rounds. Um, and every round, the bidding goes up and up. But uh, the first round was a $600 million round, um, which is a pretty big first round because it's only going to go up from there. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing to note is that the FCC has a reserve price set at $15 billion for this, meaning that um, between all carriers, they need to raise at least $15 billion because they need to be able to pay the um, incumbent users to get off the band. Uh, in this case, it's a federal user, um, mm -hmm. which means that they're just gonna have to find, they have to be able to pay for new equipment, um, and those kinds of things to move them to whatever band they're moving to. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the interesting thing is this is a hundred megahertz of spectrum. Um, so it's less spectrum than was available before, um, but it's still a lot of spectrum. Um, and there is a 40 megahertz cap for any individual single bidder. So okay. nobody can acquire more than 40 megahertz, um, which I believe was similar um, in the C-band auction, yep. at least initially, uh, right. for the first 100 megahertz. Um, so I believe we'll probably kind of see a similar situation here where we get maybe uh, a 40, 40, and a 20, depending on who's, who's bidding. Um, but uh, they're saying that because these auctions are um, not public until they're completed, um, there are 33 bidders. Um, so technically anybody can bid for this auction. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a feeling that um, all the four carriers are, are bidding on, on um, this auction sure. and that we'll probably see um, AT&T lead this one a little bit more, um, possibly with T-Mobile following and Verizon also following mm -hmm. um, because you know Verizon spent $45 billion on C-Band um, yeah. So they aren't necessarily going, actually, I think it was 35, but then you add the 10 for the, the build-out costs. But right. um, 
you know, $35 billion is a lot to pay for Spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that they're going to back off on some of their, their bidding. And honestly, I think AT&T will as well, because they also spent quite a bit. Um, but I think AT&T has a little bit more appetite because um, they seem to be more focused on their network. Um, and I think that uh, this lower band will actually have better propagation. Um, so I think AT&T, you know, would benefit from having 40 megahertz of this. Um, and I think T-Mobile, you know, it depends on where they might do this, but I think T-Mobile might actually um, be a little bit more picky with what they get because they already own 2.5 and they also got some C-band. Um, right. So I think this would be kind of something that would allow them to uh, diversify their um, spectrum holdings in places where maybe they don't have as much 2.5 or didn't get any C-band. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Great insights. And I, I would think US Cellular um, would be, you know, in the hunt, you know, on this as well. They, they didn't really acquire a lot of C-band uh, based, on, based on my recollection. And, um, you know, this allows them, you know, to your point, um, a, better, a better spectrum profile with respect to propagation and you know, not require the need for as much densification of small cells. But here we go. We're off to the races again on another auction. I mean, <laughs> it'll, you know, pop your popcorn. You know, we'll keep tabs on it. But hey, buddy, it was another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Contact, and I'm at Anshel Sag. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.